0: Good evening. How are you guys feeling? Good. Man, it's good to be here on a Tuesday night, right? All right, cool. Well, hey, welcome to Genesis. We are glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis. And here at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so I hope when you walk through the door tonight that, that you felt welcome, that you felt comfortable, that you felt invited And I also hope that you came through the door tonight with an open heart to to have an experience with God, knowing that when you come here on a Tuesday that you're expectant, uh, you've been prayed for, and we're ready for you. And so I hope that that was the case tonight, that you are walking through here knowing that you have an open heart and uh, ready to have an experience with God. And so I'm excited for tonight. A couple of years, years ago, I heard that in the school system, there was this nationwide issue of kids not being able to afford their lunch balances. Uh, The issue basically comes down to the fact that a a student from a low-income family qualifies for what's called free and reduced lunch. And the parents of the student would have to do this paperwork to get it approved, but in the meantime of getting it approved, getting this paperwork done, the students would accrue this balance that they had to pay off. And the balance would stay with them through high school, and worst case scenario, that if they didn't pay it by the time they were supposed to graduate, their diploma would be withheld from them. And so I heard about this, and at the time, and we still do, we, Genesis has a relationship with uh, College Park Middle School, which is right down the road from here, and I had the idea of doing a fundraiser to help pay off some of the student, uh, student lunch balances at College Park Middle, and so I was friends with a guidance counselor, and so I went up there one day and I, and, I, and I pitched the idea to him, and I said, hey, is this an issue that you guys are facing at College Park? And he said, "Oh yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure we do." And so he took me back to the to the area where the, the 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 head cafeteria lady handles all the finances and the balances and things like that. And he goes in the back and he talks to her, and then he comes out and he says, "Man, the need is so much worse than I thought. The need was high." And so I, I pitched the idea of the fundraiser, and he loved it. And so Genesis, over like six weeks, we raised about sixteen hundred dollars, which by itself, didn't sound like a ton of money to me at first. uh, But it wasn't until I dropped the check off and then heard back how far that money went that it really surprised me. The guy said that it was able to pay off the balances of 95 students. And that covered about 70 families. So if you add like siblings in there. So 95 students. And then he shared some of the stories with me. He said parents who were there were some parents who were making choices between paying off this lunch balance and groceries. There were, there were cases where students would now get to go to prom because of this. And he said that he even got phone calls from, from people who were calling in to pay their debt, and he got the privilege to tell them, hey, it's already been taken care of. And so it was great. And this was a result of small donations, Someone skipping coffee, someone skipping uh, eating out for the day. And all these little donations added up to this large sum. And the total of those small donations made a huge impact on 95 middle school students. And I actually saw starting this school year that the school now provides free lunch for every student, regardless of situation, regardless of family income. And so that's an, that's an answer to prayer. And this was all because of, quote, broke college students or, quote, selfish millennials And I don't know about you, but I believe that God is still active and at work in this generation, and he still has good works prepared for us to do, and he's still going to use us to make a difference in this world. Amen? And often that difference is made one small step at a time. So let me ask you a question tonight. Do you feel that currently you are in a small stage of life? Have you ever caught yourself at school or at work thinking, man, what I'm doing feels really small. I'm just a freshman, or I'm just entry level, or I'm just an intern. I'm just this little fish in a big ocean. I'm just an average person doing average things. It's gonna live an average life. And why do we feel those things? We feel those things because in us, there is a desire for the big things of life, right? We want the big job. We want the the big degree. We want the big impact and the big influence. But where we are right now, feel so small. What I want us to find tonight is that how we treat the small moments and how we treat the humble beginnings and the average days is what will set us up for the big moments, the big days, and the big results when they come. Because in our life, small things make big differences. Tonight, we're beginning a new series called The Gospel of Noah. And throughout this month, we're going to talk through the story of Noah and the ark. And the story of Noah and the ark is an incredibly famous story in the Bible, but it's not just this cute kid's story that's supposed to be left in Sunday school. It's instead a story of obedience and faithfulness and rescue from the, from the wrath of God. And it's a clear foreshadowing of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so tonight, in week one, we're going to see how the huge calling of Noah started very small. So if you would, pray with me, and then we'll jump in. God, we thank you so much for tonight to gather this body of believers together with one purpose, and that is glorifying you, seeing your name lifted high. So God, I pray right now, God, that your voice would speak louder tonight than my own, that this would not fall on deaf ears, but instead, God, we would leave tonight closer to you than when we walked in. God, I pray for open hearts. I pray for you to have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, if you agree with me, say amen. All right, so if you would, Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 6. What's interesting is, uh, while you're turning there, the verses for tonight, they actually basically provide their own context for you, uh, mostly because Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and so there's not a ton that's happened yet, Uh, but just know that by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, we've seen God create the earth, we've seen sin enter the world, and not just now enter the world, but completely take over. And so when we pick up in Genesis 6, sin is running rampant, and God is not happy about it. So this is Genesis 6, 5 through 8. This is what it says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we see, as as we said, that sin and wickedness and evil was everywhere in the earth and everywhere inside of man. The verse actually says that every intention of man was sinful and evil. And then we see something interesting that that I wanted to discuss tonight. It says that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. This is a very odd thing to hear about God. This is a very strange thing to read about God. Why would he regret something that he did? After all, God knows everything, right? Wouldn't he know the outcomes of the decisions that he makes? Of course he does. But tonight, I want us to think of this verse this way. Just because God said that he regretted creating man does not mean that he would do it differently if he had to do it over. It's like when a parent disciplines their child, right? They don't enjoy that, but they know that it's necessary. And I'm sure you've had a moment in your life where you can think back over something that you may have done and you think, man, I hated that I had to do that, but I know that it was the right thing and I would probably do it again over if I had the chance. And if our finite minds that are ignorant of the future can feel that, we know God as complex and as infinite as he is can also feel that. And so God says here that he is going to kill everything. He is going to kill everything and everyone. He is going to destroy the world. I don't know if that's the part that you hear on Sunday school. When we get to verse 8, there is this, this glimmer of hope for the world. And the glimmer of hope is named Noah. And so God has just painted this picture, right, of wickedness and sin and evil. And then it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God is looking at the earth and all of its mess and its wickedness, and Noah seems to stand out from everybody else. And God is like, Noah, that's my guy. I love Noah. Noah seems to know what's up. So you know what? When I destroy this place, I'm going to make sure that Noah gets out alive. And so I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good spot to be in if you're Noah. So let's keep reading and learn quickly some more about Noah and find out why God favored him. So these are the next two verses. This is 6, 9, and 10. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So see Noah has three sons, and we learn that Noah was a blameless and righteous man. And it's good to know, because you see this every now and then. This is just good knowledge to know that when you read the Bible and, and you see someone called blameless, which people get called that every now and then, that doesn't mean perfect. What that means is they, they lived an upright life. They lived a life of integrity. And so Noah was a good guy. And it says that he walked with God, not physically, but spiritually. And so Noah is an upright man. He's got, he's got a close relationship with God. And it seems that he was the exception of this world that was full of wickedness and sin. And so let's keep reading. Let's see what God wants Noah to do. And this is where... Uh, things, get, things get fun, okay? This is a lot of scripture that's coming your way, all right? So hang with me, and you'll see what, uh, what God wants Noah to do. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, into the ark, into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. That shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. So God gives Noah this heads up, right? Listen, I'm gonna destroy the world. The world is going to be over by way of flood. Like we said, everything and everybody is going to die. But I need you to build an ark. And he gives him the dimensions. And he says, I need it to be, I need it to be this tall. And it's about 50 feet tall, which is about higher than a four-story building. He said, I need it this wide. And he gives him the dimensions for the width. And you could fit probably close to nine 18-wheelers in the width. And he said, I need it to be this long. And it's about one and a half football fields. And here's the thing. Only have one door. Only have one door. And he said, I want you and your wife and your sons and their wives to to get on board when the flood comes and you'll need to get this many animals and this kind of food so you guys can eat while you're on it. So Noah had been told that him and his family would enter the ark to escape the flood. And so Noah now knew that the ark would be his and his family's escape from the wrath of God. Before we move forward tonight, I want to slow down on the instructions that God gave Noah because there is a detail in there that is really important to the overall story of God and a foreshadowing of what would happen much later. So fast forward thousands of years later. God's wrath is still kindled toward man. But instead of using a flood, God used another more permanent solution. One that would send his son to earth to live among this world of wickedness and sin. And now through the life, death, and resurrection of that son, Jesus, there is an escape from the wrath of God. And so just like there was one door to get onto the ark, there is only one way to eternal life. And just like there was one door to escape the wrath of God then, there is only one way now. And just like there was one door into God's goodness and mercy then, there is only one way now, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the one door, the only way to salvation. And so you need to remember tonight that God has given you an escape from his wrath, and he has given you a door into his goodness and into his mercy, and there is only one way in, and it's Jesus. This next verse is something that I love about the Bible. A large amount of time in the Bible, a lot of... A lot of time and a big moment or a huge event can take place, and all you get is one sentence about it. And so this next verse that we're going to read tonight is going to carry the message. And if you blink, you miss it. So tonight, don't blink. This is Genesis 6.22. So Noah just heard all of that, all these instructions. Build an ark. This is the size I want it. This is what's going to happen. And then in 6.22, this is what it says. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Do you know how powerful that sentence is? So, in one sentence, we see Noah hear the command to build the ark and then build it. Noah did all that God commanded him to do. And we can piece together some info here from the previous chapter, and then into some verses that we'll read later on in the month. But it's good to know tonight that that ark took a hundred years to finish. A hundred years. And so even though it took a century, we don't get an in-depth look into what constructing that ark looked like. All we get is one sentence. But that sentence is very powerful. So Noah heard from God to build a massive wooden boat. And we can imagine the thoughts in his head, right? Like, okay, so I've got no wood, but I've got some trees, I think. That I could probably cut down. And I've got some sons that could help me. I've got some basic tools. So I guess I'm just going to have to just get started. And so Noah started with nothing, a blank slate. All he had was a command from God. And then one small piece of wood at a time constructed the entire ark. And you got to remember, there's no power tools back in Noah's day, he didn't have power saws or electric sanders or reciprocating saws or the super power cutter 3000. I made that one up. No. All he had was what he had. And just like every job starts with one day, with your first day, every degree starts with one class, the ark started with one piece of wood. He had said yes to what God commanded him. But that yes meant that what he was doing was going to be very small for a time. And he would have to work at it constantly. He would have to fight the urge to give up. And he would have to persevere when it got hard. And the same goes for us tonight. God has put you in a place for a reason. A school, a workplace, a dorm room, an office. And you need to hear this tonight. The way you treat where God has put you is how you trust where God has put you. The way you treat where God has put you is a reflection of how much you trust where God has put you. And so by you making the most of where you are currently at, however small that may feel, that is a way of saying yes to God. Like, yes, God, that I trust you with your plan for my life. Yes, God, I trust you with where you have me right now. Because listen to this tonight. Sometimes God commands you to build something out of wood and then gives you a tree. Does that make sense? Sometimes God commands you to build something out of wood and then gives you a tree, right? And all we tend to do is look at the tree and not its potential. All we see is, oh, my job's so lame, or I got so much school left, or my influence is so small. But what if we instead chose to see the small things in our life differently? That though it feels small to trust that, The time that we are in now is setting us up for something bigger down the road. And whatever happens down the road is a result of what we do now. I believe some of us in here tonight have been given things that God wants us to create something great out of. And so sometimes you have to take what you've got, what you've been given, and make the most of it. And sometimes that may be something small. And so I would encourage you tonight to give it all you got with what you got. That's what Noah did. And here's what I love about this this part of the story of Noah. He was given a promise from God, right? The flood's coming. The earth is going to be destroyed. And then a command from God. Noah, I want you to build the ark. And Noah obeyed before God sent the rain. And I can't help but think tonight that what if in our life we obeyed God before he came through for us? I'm talking about obeying and glorifying and trusting God with what is right in front of you, the job, the education, etc. That whatever it is in your hands right now, what if you chose to use it all for the glory of God before he came through and changed your situation or before he came through and answered your prayers? What if you chose to obey God in the midst of waiting for breakthrough to come in your life? That what if you gave it all you've got with what you've got before God decided to send the rain? And if you did that, I guarantee that you would stop seeing your stage of life as small and you would see it as useful for the kingdom of God. I guarantee that you would stop seeing school and work as just obligations and you instead see them as a place to have impact for the kingdom of God. I guarantee that you stop seeing your dorm room or your apartment complex as stepping stones and instead see them as places that you can share the gospel. I guarantee that you stop seeing your age or your youth as as an obstacle, and instead see it as an advantage. I guarantee you'd stop seeing trees and you'd start seeing an ark. And all the time that Noah was building the ark, he was preparing for the rain God had promised to send. Like, God, I'm not, I'm not seeing any clouds yet. But even though I know you promised it would flood so I'm going to get ready for it. And you need to do the same. You need to think, though I'm not seeing any breakthrough yet, though I'm not seeing that prayer answered yet, though I'm not seeing the end of the tunnel yet, I'm just going to keep on keeping on until I'm told to do otherwise. Though I don't have the job that I want yet or the degree that I want yet or the impact or the influence I I want yet, I'm going to trust God with where he has me right now. Because you can't force something that's not in the timing of God. Sometimes things are in God's hands and God's hands alone. So tonight, we need to know that it's not our job to send the rain. It's our job to prepare for it when it does. And I don't think we realize sometimes how glorifying that is to God when we make the most of where he has us currently. That is a step of obedience. That is a yes to God. Yes, God, I trust where you have me right now. Yes, God, I trust your plan for my life. To not spend our days striving to be farther ahead or to be somewhere else, but to fully trust God with where he has you. Because like we said before, how we treat where God has us is a reflection of how much we trust where God has us. Because what seems small now can over time make all the difference. I want to end on this thought tonight. We saw that Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Not some, not most, but all. And I wonder tonight, could the same be said about us? That in every season that God has placed you in, small or large, we made the most of it. That we were okay in starting small. Because that's how we say yes to God. That we didn't stop short of doing all that God had commanded us to do. That just as Noah did all that he was commanded, David did all that he was commanded to do. Zoe did all that she was commanded to do. What if that's something God could say about us? We did all that we were commanded to do. Tonight, we're going to move into a time of of response, but I would encourage you tonight as as we sing and as we worship, to to let this reflect, to let this sit and, and I would encourage you to reflect on it. Because here's the thing at this at this age, we are we are in small stages of life. There is no arguing that. But the tough thing is is to not want to be ten years from now or or fifteen years from now or not to be wherever we're gonna be whenever we figure it out. Cause spoiler alert, that never happens. We need to trust where God has us today and say yes to God with where he has us right now. Because of how we treat where God has us is how much we trust where God has us. So I would encourage you tonight, if we could stand up and we would worship, let that settle in tonight. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you are not afraid of humble beginnings that you are not afraid of small starts, God, that you are not afraid of the average times. But instead, God, we know that those are the days where you are grooming us and building us and setting a foundation for something incredible that will come later. God, we thank you for the truth that that just like there was one door to get on the ark, there is one way to eternal life. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And God, just like your son, Jesus, didn't come in royalty didn't come in splendor, didn't come like everyone thought he would. He instead came in a very small way, in a small town as a small baby. And so if Jesus started small, we know that we will too. And so God, we trust you with where where you have us right now. We wanna treat it like you've given it to us. We wanna make the most of the meantime. God, we hand everything we have to you, God. We wanna give it all we've got with what we've got. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.